everybody. Welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and in this episode, we shift our sights to basketball for the first time on this show, with the NBA All-Star break just around the corner. I couldn't think of a better person with whom to dive into the NBA than this week's guest, Jonathan Von Tobel. Jonathan is a senior NBA analyst at VSIN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network, and he's also the host of a brand new podcast called Hardwood Handicappers. If you're listening to this episode the day it comes out on Thursday, March 4th, a good chunk of the league's already out for the All-Star break, and tonight, 18 more teams are scheduled to play their final games of the proverbial first half. So in this interview with Jonathan, we touch on takeaways from the first half of the season that we can apply moving forward, including the front runners in each conference, a wide open MVP race, and some dark horse teams and MVP candidates that could present some nice betting value. And if you're looking for a blend of NBA insight from the perspective of both an intelligent fan and a savvy better, I think you're really going to like this interview. Chances are Jonathan is your guy. We also touch on Jonathan's background, including his career path as a Las Vegas native, plus an off-the-strip culinary experience to put at the top of your list for your next trip to Vegas. If that sounds good, I'd appreciate it if you could take a quick moment to subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a quick rating and review would be incredibly helpful. You can also follow me on Twitter, at MLandis18, to keep the conversation going, and if you're looking to get your sports betting fix year-round, check out Dimers.com, where right now you can get NBA and NHL picks every day. All right, so without further ado, let's get to this week's conversation with VSIN senior NBA analyst Jonathan Von Tobel. Jonathan, thanks for joining Props and Hops. Happy almost All Star weekend. And I'm curious to hear are you going to get a bit of a break for yourself as well, or is this a case of no rest for the weary? Uh, yeah, no, no rest. Actually, yesterday I started uh, breaking down second half schedules. Uh, I got some plans for some pieces, you know, during the all-star break, evaluating win totals where we're at right now, uh, the pace for a lot of these teams, what the second half schedule will look like for some of these teams. Uh, and also, you know, I, I think last year, uh, you know, I texted John Avella over at DraftKings, and I don't know if it was DraftKings or FanDuel, but a couple of these operators released second half win totals as well. So hopefully we get a couple of those up we get to evaluate. So it is a week off of NBA action, but it's more time to study and do some more stuff. So no rest. Yeah, well, that sounds like a great new offering. I know that in the football season, a lot of people talk about the opportunity for books to re-release season win totals in season. It's a pretty simple equation, but it's not a common offering. So if we get something like that with the NBA for the second half, that could be a big step in the right direction. And uh, yeah, for listeners, a little bit of context. We're recording this Monday morning. I'll drop it, I think, Thursday closer to the break. Some teams will actually already be on the break by the time we get to Thursday. So maybe we'll start to see some second half win totals hitting the boards sooner rather than later. And before we dive too much deeper into the NBA talk, I also wanted to touch on your background a little bit with a unique perspective to Sin City being a Vegas native. What was it like for you to grow up in Las Vegas? And how do you think that shaped what your career path has become so far? Uh, you know, it's Vegas has actually really been tied w- with my family. You know, the Von Tobel family was one of the first 100 families to settle Las Vegas. Uh, you know, we, we've been out here for a really long time. And my dad used to travel for work. So I was born in California, but uh, Von Tobel's in Vegas have really gone hand in hand. So uh, I really loved it out here. You know, I've, we're, you know, it's it's cool to be an intricate part of the community. And then, you know, when you grow up and you start to work your first few jobs, uh, like one of the jobs that I worked, my main job going through college, I was at Starbucks, and the Starbucks was located inside a casino right next to a sports book. 
Uh, and so that's really where it started for me, at least my my interest in sports gambling. You know, on Sundays uh, during football season, I would be the one in charge of the register because I knew sports. I liked sports, but I also knew sports betting. So you get to schmooze customers and talk them up so you can get some extra tips. Um, but, you know, it's it, growing up in Vegas has uh, always piqued my interest in terms of sports betting. And, and then the job of VSIN really took that full bore and allowed me to, you know, read books and study and and try to become better at it. You know, you're never hundred percent in terms of what you know. So it's Beeson's really pushed me to improve in terms of the realm of sports betting. Yeah. And digging more into that realm of sports betting, we're about to wrap the proverbial first half of the NBA season and looking at things from a high level, obviously this season, we're not still in the bubble, but things definitely aren't normal. What are some of the biggest storylines you've seen so far this season that you think we can apply moving forward as betters? Uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that we're really starting to see is, um, you know, offense and, and offense really taking shape and, and taking control of this league. And it's funny, a lot of people will say that there's no defense being played in the NBA, but there is. You know, some of the best teams in the NBA, uh, you'll find them in the top half of the league in terms of defensive rating. Uh, but what we're really seeing this year is the evolution of, of analytics and the influence on the game. You know, three-point shooting is up. Every single team this year is shooting at least 33.7% from three-point range. Uh, you know, in terms of average offensive efficiency, it's in the range of about 112. Last year, it was sitting around 110. Uh, so we're really starting to see offense take hold. And you're starting to see overs, you know, trend really in the right direction, especially in a lot of these teams, right? The New Orleans Pelicans have been an over machine. The Brooklyn Nets have been an over machine. Uh, so I think we're really starting to see this. And, and books have tentatively, you know, uh, adjusted to this. Uh, but there's also maybe a stigma of putting up a total of 245. <laughs> you know, uh, they don't really want to do that. But we're seeing regularly these games go over totals like that. So, uh, you know, offense has really, really started to come to the forefront here for the NBA, especially with the evolution and analytics and, and really shaping the game as a whole. Yeah. And something else that you've touched on with your work at VEASAN has been the impact of some long layoffs and teams getting some extra practice time when there have been cases of, COVID, postponing or canceling games, uh, weather, especially for the Mavs more recently. And that reminds me of sometimes in the NFL, almost getting in-season mini camps with West Coast teams staying back East when they have back-to-back -back road games on the opposite coast. What do you think the impact of some of those extended layoffs has been? And how do you think we should look to bet those cases if we do see more of them in the second half of the season? Yeah, you know, I think for sure it's it's beneficial. And look, you bring up the NFL, you know, practice time is ingrained in an NFL schedule, right? You know, every game is on Sunday, Monday, or Thursday. You have time. If it's a shorter week, less time. But practice time is always there for these teams. You know, in the NBA, these guys are playing five games, seven nights, uh, road trips, maybe one, two days off at a time. So practice time isn't really something that is, you know, often, out there often for these NBA teams. And you mentioned the Mavericks, just to give numbers and paint a picture here, you know, because I just got done with the morning write-ups on this Monday, but, you know, the Mavericks, since they got that extra practice time, 3-1 and one straight up and against the numbers, the defensive rating before that hiatus was 124.7. During these four-game stretch, it's 104.1. You know, it's a really big extreme, uh, and they've taken on some inefficient offenses, but it, there's no question that their offensive practice time has helped them in that regard. I shouldn't say defense, not offense. But I, I would say, as we approach the second half, and I've started to evaluate some of these schedules, there's not going to be a lot of time for practice for a lot of these teams. You know, going through some of the notes, too, as well, you know, the Atlanta Hawks, for example, uh, they have three situations uh, in the second half where they're going to be playing five games in seven nights. You know, a lot of these teams are going to have a lot of these situations. Uh, the first four teams that have evaluated, the Atlanta Hawks, Boston Celtics, Brooklyn Nets, and Charlotte Hornets, all of them have seven or more back-to-back -back situations in the second half. So, like, this is going to be something. And the NBA has been pretty upfront about it. Like, hey, look, we got a lot of postponements. we got to fit a lot of these games in. Um, 
there's not going to be a lot of time for practice. So I'm not done evaluating all the schedules, but I would say I, I'm not sure if there's going to be the opportunity for a lot of these teams in the second half. One opportunity we may see as betters throughout the second half, something that continues to pick up steam would be in-game betting. I think that that's an increasing percentage of the action we're seeing as a general trend. And especially this season, really recently, there have been some monster comebacks. And I'm wondering if that's had any impact on your approach to betting and running, or if there are any teams you look to play on or against, kind of how you look at in-game betting specifically with an eye toward the second half of the season. Yeah, and look, I mean, look on Sunday night. Sunday night, the Sacramento Kings are uh, are up in the final minute, and they get outscored 12-3 to over the final 60 seconds and lose on an and-one by Malik Monk. Like, it was insane. Um, but you're right. Like, we, we see these big comebacks. The Brooklyn Nets without Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden on the floor. They come back from down 24 against Phoenix. So I, I would say, you know, in-game wagering obviously gives you an opportunity uh, to find some value in a lot of these games, especially when teams are down big. But that doesn't always mean it always happens. But I would say more often than not, you know, when it comes to in-game wagering, find statistical anomalies that you don't think uh, are something that can maintain themselves throughout the course of the, the game, right? For example, a couple of nights ago, the Utah Jazz played the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets one of the worst teams at the rim in the NBA. And yet at halftime, they were shooting 70% at the rim. They had gotten there 18 times. And you're like, well, that's not going to be sustainable against the Utah Jazz. And sure enough, what happens, they make two shots within four feet the rest of the game. Jazz blow them out. And, of course, they go away and they cover the second half number, which was nine and a half. So that would be my big recommendation. You know, I'm a big pre-flop better, but I also use those pre-flop numbers uh, to kind of get involved in game and set myself up for some middles. And that's also a very good opportunity for, for betters who are sitting and watching the game and trying to set themselves up for opportunities. Yeah, it's always a great feeling when you can put yourself in a spot where you know that you have the possibility of winning both tickets pre-flop and in running, and you can't lose both. So sometimes you end up just paying the VIG and splitting it up. But when you can go 2-0 and because you're paying attention and putting yourself in that kind of position, that can often be the difference between a slight loser or break even better in the long term and actually coming out ahead. So we've touched on some high-level concepts. I also want to touch on some teams that are at the forefront of each conference. Looking at the West, Let's say we've got a cluster of the Jazz, Lakers, and Clippers at the top. The Jazz, obviously, they've got the best record in the NBA. They do remind me a little bit of previous teams like the Hawks and Bucks in recent years that felt like they were built more for the regular season than the postseason with their depth and balance. I could totally be wrong there. I don't think the Bucks or Hawks were ever as white hot as the Jazz have been for much of this first half. And as a Lakers fan, I know their outlook's a little bit murky given the state of Anthony Davis. And then for you as a Clippers fan, is this possibly a moment for them to finally leapfrog the Lakers? What are your thoughts on the Western Conference frontrunners as we approach the break? You know, I, I would tend to agree for the most part, right, that the Jazz, you, we've seen this from the Jazz before. Go back a couple of years ago, right? They actually went on a 22-3 and run in the regular season in the second half, and then they end up winning a first-round series against Oklahoma City and then losing in five games to Houston in the second round. Yeah, this is a Jazz team that has shown some uh, the ability to get really hot over long stretches of a regular season. So I would agree with anybody, or I wouldn't fault anybody in looking at Utah and thinking like, ah, you know, it's a, kind of a paper tiger once we get to the postseason. I think the one difference, though, is and, and they're so analytically sound. They're taking over 43% of their attempts from beyond the arc. They're shooting over 40% from beyond the arc. They're destroying teams from the corners. Like, they're just exploiting some of the most valuable areas of the floor that you can as an NBA team. And so that's the thing that I think that might separate them. And then on top of that, still the second-best team in terms of efficiency on defense. And so I think that's what probably makes them a little bit different uh, than the Jazz teams of the past. And, and look, at the Western Conference overall, I think you're right. Like, any one of those three teams, right, if we're talking about when the dust settles, it's the Clippers, the Lakers, or the Jazz that are in the NBA Finals, I don't think any of us should really be surprised. 
because every team, as good as they are, all have their flaws. We just watched on Sunday, the Los Angeles Clippers need a facilitator. They need a point guard. They failed to score a single bucket in the final four minutes against the Milwaukee Bucks, right? We're operating in isolation the entire time. Paul George is pulling up for three, even though he doesn't need to early in the shot clock. And so that's their massive flaw, despite the fact that they're the best three-point shooting team, one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, despite some of the numbers. Uh, and then the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Their three-point shooting is god-awful. Like, we saw it during that streak without Dennis Schroeder. And even with Schroeder and Davis back, we're talking about a 32 and a 31% three-point shooter at this point right now, respectively. But they're going to be really good defensively. And Schroeder, of course, gives them another facilitator on the floor. So I would say, really, when it comes to the Western Conference, those are the three. And, and to be honest, at this point, the way I handicap it, I mean, look, I got a Jazz ticket at 7-1 to one to win the Western Conference, but that was more of a value grab than anything else. You figured that was going to start to shrink than has. Um, I, I really can throw any three of them in a hat and pull one out and tell you that they're going to be the Western Conference representative. Yeah, and things are pretty wide open in the East as well, perhaps even more wide open. But their top three teams right now, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Bucks. with the Sixers, this is possibly the year that trust in the process finally gets rewarded with the Nets. They've really hit their stride recently, and the sky could be the limit if their defense can hold up. Of course, they'll want to see Kevin Durant get back to 100% after the All-Star break. And for the Bucks, we know Giannis is a superstar. They've they've shown that they can win a lot of games, but their perimeter defense could possibly be their undoing. So what are your thoughts when we look at the Eastern Conference leaders at this stage? So I, I agree with that assessment, obviously, 100%. The Milwaukee Bucks, they're 24th or lower in every key perimeter defensive category, right? Uh, they're giving up, uh, we think, 24th in terms of corner, uh, 27th in terms of non-corner, and then I think 28th in terms of overall three-point shooting defense. And, and we've seen it burn them, right? We saw them get burned by Miami, exploiting that issue uh, in the in the second round last year. I, I'll tell you that I'm pretty low on Milwaukee in terms of making it out of the Eastern Conference. And I've really come around on Brooklyn. Like I'd say over the last month and a half, I've watched so much Brooklyn Nets basketball because I just enjoy watching James Harden, what he's done with that team. But they're such a high-level offense. And you mentioned this run that they're on, uh, what, eight and eight and one in their last nine games. Kevin Durant's played one of those games. Like that's been the incredible part about what the Nets could actually be. And I've made this case for a really long time that, you know, if they could just be below average defensively, right? Like we're talking about – defensive rating in the range of like, you know, 15th, 16th in the NBA, which by the way, they're starting to get there. Um, that This is a team that is going to be really dangerous. And, and when you watch the Nets, I would employ you, you know, watch them closely. They've changed how they defend. They've now brought in D'Antoni's uh, switching style from Houston. They will switch everything. They don't care if they have to put Kyrie Irving uh, on a big like Rudy Gobert, whatever it is, they're willing to do it because it just helps them in that regard. And it's really helped their defensive rating as well. So, you know, it, when it comes to all of those teams, I would rank Brooklyn first. And I do think Philadelphia is second. When you have a team like Joel Embiid or a team built around Joel Embiid the way they do, when you have a perimeter defender like Ben Simmons, you're going to be in the running almost every single time. The thing that worries me is outside of Ben Simmons and outside Joel Embiid, they have little shot creation, right? Danny Green can't really dribble. Seth Curry is fine, but he's a shooter. Uh, Shake Milton is fine as well, but he's also a perimeter-oriented guy. And so that's kind of my one thing that worries me with Philadelphia. I bet him before the season at 34-1. to 1, win the NBA title because I figured they were a lot better than that and so I feel good about that ticket but I do think that them just like all these other teams do have a pretty clear weakness but I would go Brooklyn Philly uh, and then potentially Miami as actually my third team in the Eastern Conference yeah I wanted to touch on Miami and even possibly Toronto I'm hearing noise around them as a stealth contender are there any under the radar teams beyond the six that we've talked about in the two conferences that you think could be poised for a second half surge and possibly a playoff surge 
Yeah, that's definitely Miami. And I'll, I'll pull up the numbers right now because I bet them just the other day at 15 to 1 to win the Eastern Conference. Like this team is, it's a team that if you go back to the beginning of the season, uh, was really ravaged by injury and COVID, right? Jimmy Butler missed a whole month with COVID. He came back, he had lost 10 to 12 pounds by all reports. You know, he wasn't the same guy. But since they've gotten Jimmy Butler back, they have been the third best defensive team in the NBA. They have a plus net rating despite having one of the worst offenses in the league because their defense has been so good. And now we're starting to see them on this run. And uh, on Sunday, they go ahead, they beat um, uh, Atlanta without Jimmy Butler in the lineup because they've been so sound. But their, their offense is really starting to take shape. You know, if you look at the whole picture since Butler's come back, they're about 21st in offensive efficiency. But if you look at this winning streak that they're on right now, their offensive efficiency has gone from 110 to about 113, 114. So it's really slowly starting to get better. Their three-point shooting is starting to get better. They're starting to look more like the team they were last year. And keep in mind, too, uh, that as Butler missed the game on Sunday, Avery Bradley hasn't been fully healthy either. This is still a team that is really getting their legs under them health-wise. So I think Miami is the top candidate there in terms of being a dark horse that you can bet on now and find some value uh, to potentially go ahead and, and find yourself in a good spot going forward. And, and as far as Toronto goes, I, I like Toronto a lot. And I think the second half is going to be a stretch where I want to bet on Toronto more often than not. They have 14 games against the likes of like Atlanta, Cleveland, uh, Detroit, uh, Washington, some of those lesser teams. They're playing a majority of the games in Tampa as opposed to on the road. They've already played 20 road games at this point. Um, they're going to have a, quite a few back-to-backs in the second half but the schedule is set up really nicely for them. So I think they'd be more Toronto, a bet on team game to game. Futures wise, still think they have some really big flaws. Don't love their front court rotation. Aaron Baines hasn't been the same guy. Still overly relying on three point shots in transition. But I think they're more of a night to night bet on type of team as the market kind of struggles to keep up with how good they could be in the second half. Got it. Yeah, I think that sums up so well just how wide open things are across the league right now. And it's not just wide open in terms of teams that could win the championship, but also looking at some of the individual awards, namely the MVP award. The race is just so wide open right now. As the Lakers say, I know that some of their recent struggles have hurt the odds for LeBron. Similarly, the 76ers have hit some uneven patches, and that could diminish Embiid's chances of taking home the MVP award. A lot of buzz around Donovan Mitchell as the Jazz have stayed so hot. But also, based on a recent Twitter profile update you made campaigning for James Harden, what are your thoughts on a really wide open MVP race, and why might Harden be the guy that deserves more attention? Yeah, I, I love this MVP race. I think by, in recent memory, it's like one of the best ones we've had, right? Like any, we were talking about any one of three teams winning the Western Conference. Any one of six guys could win the MVP. And I would not be arguing against it at all uh, for any six of them. And I'm really excited about this. But Harden has really forced his way into the pecking order for a couple of reasons, right? One, you know, the guy, he's, he's hated on quite a bit for his style and his body type and all these things. But it allows him to play a lot. He, he's an Ironman. He's only missed one game with, for Brooklyn, and that was due to a legitimate injury. I think it was a calf, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he's going to be on the floor every single game for Brooklyn unless he is seriously injured. Uh, when you look at it from an offensive standpoint, leads the league in assists. He's fourth in offensive, real plus minus, and I haven't checked that in a couple of days, so I'll update that. Um, but in terms of overall what he adds to a team, he's in the top ten in terms of real plus minus wins added. He, he has been great for the Brooklyn Nets. And he has arguably been one of the best players in the league. And if they're going to eventually rip the number one seed from the Philadelphia 76ers hands, if they finish with the best record in the Eastern conference, if he's been on the floor for every single one of those games, averaging nearly a legitimate triple double, I think he's definitely worth it. And we're starting to see it by the way, in the mainstream, I think Jalen Rose over the weekend had him as like his top MVP candidate. So uh, he's at like 33 to one right now to win the MVP. I think he's definitely worth looking at, but uh, I think another sneaky case, 
to be made is Steph Curry. Steph Curry has been offensively on par with his unanimous MVP season. He's a 30-point-per-game scorer. He's a 42% three-point shooter. He leads the league in offensive real plus-minus. And, by the way, this is with a team that is now, I think, 19th in offensive efficiency. He's carrying such a big load on his back, and they're a playoff team right now. So I think, like, those two are your sneaky dark horse candidates. But as you mentioned, if James Harden – or, excuse me, if LeBron James is going to win it, I don't think we're going to complain. He gets Dennis Schroeder back. All of a sudden, they rip off two wins. They blow out the Golden State Warriors. They look more like the team that they were. LeBron James looks absolutely fantastic. Joel Embiid, right now top seed in the Eastern Conference, putting up 40-point games left and right. But Philadelphia has some flaws, and they lose over the weekend to Cleveland, you know, taking losses that they probably shouldn't. So uh, I'm really fascinated because this is one – that I think is going to take shape. And, and I would say it important people, the MVP race is fluid. Go back a couple of years ago, James Harden was in a race uh, at one point where he was a minus 500 freight, uh, favorite to win the MVP. It was the first year that Giannis won MVP. And Giannis came storming back and then eventually won that award. So as you look at these odds shift, don't be afraid to maybe look at some long shots if you study really well, because this will move, this will be fluid, and guys who are pretty far back will eventually come back and win these things. Yeah, it seems almost like there could be some parallels to betting a game and running, except for the game in this case would be the whole season, and these candidates can just see their odds jump or plummet from a night-to-night basis. So one more NBA topic I wanted to touch on as we approach the break. LeBron, a lot of other stars, seem more interested in getting a true break than just playing another exhibition game for possibly no good reason, as some might argue. But with that in mind, do you have any insight on betting the All-Star game or any of those events surrounding it? No, you know, I, I, there's times where I'll have fun with, like, betting, like, you know, uh, the skills competition, three-point shooting competition. But I, I think what you hit on is really important. It's the desire to play in this game. It's the situation around this game. With so many players being vocal and, and not wanting to participate, I just wonder how that affects play on the court. And the other thing is, too, like, you know, this is a fan-driven event. And with it being limited in terms of, you know, fandom there and fan presence, how does that affect the energy, things of that nature? So, you know, all-star games are pretty fickle in and of themselves and betting them, and you never know what you're going to get in terms of effort. A couple of years now, we've kind of seen a little bit more defensive effort in the final uh, quarters of play, and now they're going to this new uh, elam ending, uh, you know, in terms of the scoring. So uh, to, this year is going to be more of a, a watch-and-see type of thing for me. I don't find myself being involved one way or another. Yeah, sometimes the best bet you can make is – to pass, right. as we know. So that sounds like a very prudent approach. I will transition into a couple of rapid-fire questions as we wrap things up. Wanted to, first off, touch on the Angels, shifting gears from basketball to baseball. We are uh, two of, I'd say, relatively few people cheering for this team. And I'm curious, being a Vegas native, if you could explain um, your background as an Angels fan and your thoughts on this year's team. Yeah, so I was you know, born, like I mentioned, I was born out in Santa Ana, out in Orange County. Uh, obviously, you know, you pick teams when you're younger and decided to get really involved with uh, being loyal to where I was born. So I picked the Anaheim Angels, uh, started cheering for them. Right, it was actually uh, right after their World Series championship in 2002. You know, got a little late to base. Baseball's kind of boring. You know, we can admit it. Um, but, you know, really started getting involved, and especially in my, you know, late high school years and not now going on now. So, uh, you know, I, I like this team, but as you know, you know, chronically disappointing. They had that one year where they won 100 games with Mike Trout, and they got swept in, I think, the divisional round, and uh, haven't been back since, haven't really sniffed it since. And it's been really disappointing, man, to watch Mike Trout be as great as he is, but this team continuously uh, kind of just try to get around by buying low on certain guys. So it has been – I think it builds character to root for a bad team, <laughs> but I'm tired of building character. Let's see him compete with one of the best teams – with one of the best guys in baseball, you know? Yeah, it's just 
almost criminal to think of how long they've had such a historically great player and how little they've been able to put around him. But crazier things have happened. I remember going to the 2002 season when they won everything. They were predicted to be a seller dweller. So this is the time of year where, as they say, hope springs eternal. So it's going to be fun to see what can happen. If Otani can stay healthy, then who knows? As a two-way threat, that could really bolster what they bring to the table around a guy like Trout. And yeah, it kind of makes me feel old to hear you say that you got into them as the Anaheim Angels right after their World Series run because I remember the California Angels. I still maintain that's probably the best name, the best uniform they've ever had. Agreed. I know when Disney bought the team, they made some moves for synergy across the company, but they did bring home a World Series title under that ownership. And hopefully we're not too far from the next one. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to touch on here, uh, a big inspiration for this show was my relationship with David Malinsky, who I knew as a friend and a mentor. He was obviously a betting legend in Las Vegas, but also a master when it came to maximizing life in Vegas beyond betting. He loved a lot of mom and pop restaurants, making his own food and beer pairings, and just thinking about Vegas beyond the way a lot of people might think of it. Are there any hidden gems that you think of? A great place to eat, a great place to grab a drink, something people should look to do when they go to Vegas that could get them off the strip and away from casinos. Oh, yeah. Actually, we were just there the other day. Uh, one of my favorite uh, Mexican restaurants it's called Frank and Fina's Cocina. It's it's up on Flamingo and Grand Canyon. It's, you know, tucked in a little bit of a, a shopping center next to a Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, but it's it's one of the best spots. I, I love it. Uh, me and my wife go there all the time. Uh, she's, you know, she's a first generation from Mexico. You know, it, it reminds her of her uh, homemade dinners and everything like that. It's a fantastic spot. So I would do- totally recommend uh, Frank and Fina's Cocina. It's up on Flamingo and Grand Canyon for anybody who's going to come. And it's very far away from the Strip. Yeah, sometimes getting off the Strip, you can find the – not only the best food or, or just really awesome experiences, but the value you can get. I mean, instead of paying for a, a mediocre steak with a celebrity's name slapped on the front of the restaurant, you can eat well for a fraction of the cost. So just like we want value on the betting boards, there's a good plus EV play for anybody making it out to Vegas anytime soon. So, Jonathan, I want to thank you for all your insight here. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter at MeJVT. Of course, your work on Beeson is a senior NBA analyst, and you also just launched a brand new podcast, Hardwood Handicappers. Is there anything I'm missing or anything you'd like to add for ways that people can follow your work and get in touch? No, no, that's perfect. Yeah, and, I, you know, anybody, if you're ever out in Vegas, I do local radio a few times a week on ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. But other than that, uh, you hit on everything. I appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, well, thanks again for your time. I hope that we can meet up in person, possibly over some really good Mexican food during a future trip I'll be taking to Vegas. In the meantime, really looking forward to continuing to follow your work from afar. Thanks again, Jonathan. Appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks again to Jonathan for joining the show. You can follow him on Twitter at MeJVT. You can also catch him on VEASAN. And if you like what he had to say in this interview, odds are you're going to love his new podcast, Hardwood Handicappers. If you found any value in this conversation, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. Friendly reminder to please also subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a quick rating and review would be incredibly helpful. You can also follow me on Twitter at MLandis18. And you can check out Dimers.com for a write-up on the highlights from my conversation with Jonathan, plus sports betting information you can benefit from all year long. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Props and Hops. I'll talk to you next week with an eye toward the college basketball ranks during the lead-up to March Madness and Selection Sunday. Until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. (laughs) 